Welcome to episode 93 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. I just realized that this episode is going to be released on my daughter's birthday. So happy third birthday to Erin. And I was telling Todd this last week, I found the cutest thing for her birthday. It was a set that is a work from home set. And it comes with a um, felt laptop that has different apps that you can like our little felt pieces that you can put on the laptop. And it has a headset and a cell phone and I think a coffee cup with it too. So I thought she should be just like mom and got her that set. So we might use it for some promotional videos to, or promotional posts to me and her working on there. The, the teletherapist in training, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. So, but I was thinking about that and that. I bought that toy and it was totally for me and not her, which I used to do all the time when I was working with kids in person. So it got me thinking about, you know, like the, how can I create those same things and how can I play when we're doing telepractice too? So some things that I have found, uh, websites is BBA is one of my favorites. They have so many things that are good for language, for a quick reinforcer. Just search on their build a and all of the things will pop up and they have like build a cake, build a cookie or build a or make a. They have one that they just I think I just found recently that was they could make their own car and then race the car. So uh, they could, you know, choose different things on the car. So lots of great things. there. Um, Toytheater.com is another one that has been great for like quick games that I want to play. I've every kid that I've worked with up to high school loves to play Uno, are good with playing Uno if it means that they get a break from whatever we're doing. So Uno is on there. If you've been searching for a way to play Uno in um, teletherapy, that's on there. Um, But they have lots of games on there and also some like... um, There's some kind of like sticker boards where it has a background and you can drag different stickers on there. So that can be fun, too. And then we always know people say boom cards, some specifics on boom cards. If you're looking for something specific on boom cards, um, Bjorn Speech Publications has done some really great ones that I know that they like. Everyone knows them for apraxia, but they have created lots of things that are kind of have that opportunities for repetitive language. Like there's a good night animals on there where you put all of the animals in bed and you put their sleep mask on. So great opportunities for play and repetitive um, language in there. Uh, If you're doing articulation and you want something fun, troll in a bowl from David Sindri is the best. Like I have one kid that I have seen him throughout the whole pandemic do articulation. He still has not gotten sick of our games (laughs) that we play on there. Um, And they're so much fun. And then if you are feeling like you want to launch into the world of green screen and all of the fun on there, uh, you have to look up Go Go Speech. She has um, so many different, she puts out, I think she's still putting out one a week, maybe one a month now. She 
never slows down with all of these different kind of story based where it's like a progressive story with um, the green screen. And then if you are a subscriber with hers, then you also get a cheat sheet that says like, these are the speech sounds in this story. These are the language targets in these story. These are the core vocabulary words you could use in this story. 100% worth it. So that's my my go-tos for kind of creating that same play in speech in uh, speech therapy and language therapy when we're doing it through telepractice. I'm going to have to steal some of these because these are, these are great because <laughs> I have to keep searching for things all the time. And, and yeah. um, so these are, these are great. Yeah. Um, so on the podcast today, we have uh, some, someone who's, in a sense, been requested. We've gotten some, um, certainly some feedback saying wanting more about assessments and things like that and uh, bilingual uh, children, how do we work with them? So uh, we have um, Michelle Posner, who's going to join us, who is a bilingual speech language pathologist in Washington, D.C., and she's going to talk about some of the best practices of evaluation that we should be doing and doing some of that through telepractice. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and and share more about your background? Thank you for having me. So my name is Michelle Posner. I'm a bilingual speech-language pathologist. I was originally born in Mexico City. I moved to the United States when I was nine. Um, So I did fifth grade um, through two years of college in Houston, Texas. And then I moved to Florida. That's where I did, finished my undergrad, got my master's. Then life brought me up to the DC area and I've been here since 2011. Um, The past 10 years, I do testing and placement uh, for kids three to five. But during COVID, when things shifted, I decided to open um, bilingual SLP. And now for fun, I create speech therapy materials in English and Spanish. That's, that's incredible. And so how, how did, uh, how did you arrive in Washington again? And how has the practice evolved from there? So I landed in Washington because my ex-husband, we won't talk about him. But, uh, you know, I stuck around and I like it here. Um, and my practice, so feels like a lifetime ago. I used to always be making my own speech therapy articulation cards because what was out there, it was like translated. It was these words new, you know, and there were a bunch of actions and dialects weren't taken into consideration. So there I am with like my clip art and like postcards and like and my husband at the time, the only thing we'll say about him, 
he was a computer programmer and he's like, you should make your own cards. So back in 2009, I launched Bilingual SLP and I created 12 decks of cards in Spanish, no actions, all things that children could name, right? Foods, toys. Um, and then, you know, we, I had him at ASHA. If you like YouTube, you might find my ASHA video. And then I got pregnant. And so, and then we moved to DC where like, I didn't have my Florida garage to keep track of all my, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was, had to pay for storage here. So, um, so it just kind of like fizzled. Um, but during COVID here I am home and I was like staring at some of these cards and I was like, what if I like turn them into an app? And then I quickly learned that I cannot make apps. (laughs) 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 But I found teachers pay teachers. I found Mm -hmm. learning. Um, And like what started with like 12 products, like it became my fun thing. I know it sounds really nerdy, but like when my daughter's with her dad, I will stay up. Like, what are the best words with P in the initial position of words? I'm going to make a tic-tac-toe board. And I will literally stay up till 10 trying to come up with the best 10 words with that sound that like aren't affected by dialect. I don't know. Have I evolved to a level of like speech craziness? (laughs) I spent one weekend like, okay, we should have an articulation screener that I use the same words in English and in Spanish. Cognates. And you can... I seriously spent a weekend doing this. I love it. It's fun. So here I am. Yeah. 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 And I feel like those of us that are like in the trenches need someone who's been in the trenches, but isn't so in the trenches that they have time to do that. (laughs) Because a lot of us think that thing that like, oh, I really need this, but I don't have time to do it. So I am like, I will give all the money to the people that have done it. for me I feel you and I almost feel like maybe it like fills my hole because all I do is testing right I haven't given right 10 years so it almost like fills my heart with like I would play go fish with this you know like I feel like it fills that need that I don't have um yeah yeah so and and I feel also like as a bilingual SLP like I've always thought the solution is not more bilingual SLPs yes we need more bilingual SLPs, but what we need more of is to help monolinguals feel comfortable with bilinguals because there's too many bilingual kids, too many languages. We can't just rely on just getting more bilingual SLPs, you know? So right. that's also my like motivator. Right. Yeah. And I think knowing even if you are, uh, if you're working with kids that are bilingual, but mostly you're working with them monolingually, being aware of that too. Like I was talking to, I have a friend that is from, um, he's from Spain and we were talking about the Spanish S and somehow how it is appropriate for them to dentalize an S and is not a disorder. So he was talking to me about that. And so I made sure, and I have a student who is Spanish speaking that I am working on that with. And I made sure at his IEP to like check and not to assume either way either that like, Oh, so that means all kids that if they have an interdental S and they speak Spanish, then it's fine. So I asked the parents, like, is this something you're concerned about and they're like oh he never speaks Spanish at home he really should be able to say this <laughs> so I was like okay but I could say that I was aware and that I checked on it too so even for us that like you said even th- for those that are monolingual we need to be aware of those things 
Yeah, no, I totally, even, even I had that, right. When I moved from Texas, everybody spoke my kind of Spanish, like Mexico, like El Salvador. When I moved to Florida, it's like the Caribbean Spanish, mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans do a substitution L for R only in the medial position of work. Took me time mm-hmm. to like wrap my brain around that one and not be like gliding and then like not like overgeneralizing, right? Right. Not Puerto Rico. Like it was like a whole thing. So man, bilinguals. <laughs> <laughs> and and we have the specialist here who can help us with it. So let's let's kind of walk through some scenarios. We we talked about earlier the SLP, uh, like like I talked to my grad students about you know, in, in the United States, well, you know, the, the old joke of, you know, what do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. You te- If you speak two languages, you're bilingual. And if you speak one language, you're an American. <laughs> true, though. The, whole, the majority of the world is bilingual or trilingual. Right. The U.S. is an anomaly. It is. It is. I'm like, um, I'm going to use your joke. There you go. You can use it. Um, so, uh, let's, you know, like, so I fit that perfectly. So I am monolingual English SLP, but I work with, with Spanish speaking families. What is best practice for me? So I think that we need to go down the different tiers, both for mm-hmm. and for treatment. I feel mm-hmm. like they go a little different. So where should we start? You're the guest. You can, there you can go. Def- you can drive this car wherever you want to drive it. Perfect. And I think it's a very good question. The last time that Asha did like a um, checking, 8% of Asha certified SLPs are bilingual. Eight. So this is, you know, the majority of us, even in this field, are monolinguals. So in terms of assessment, okay, best practice per Asha, and I agree, native to near native proficiency in the other language. And you always have to test both languages. There is this like myth that a bilingual is two monolinguals in one, but that's not the case. The majority of bilinguals are not equal in both languages. Um, so best practice is to test in the language you think that they're more likely to talk in and then re-administer all missed items in the other language or do a full other assessment in the other language. And, you know, thankfully today, there's a lot of good um, bilingual assessments out there. Um, and, and they all are kind of different. Like the self has a completely different English Spanish test. So it's a really good way of looking at like the profile of a bilingual, but like the PLS, right. Has, um, English and Spanish on there. And that one is meant to be administered in one language and go back and re-administer missed items. I loved that improvement when they redid the PLS. That was, that was a huge improvement, the bilingual assessments. Yeah. And I like that it has like on the side, that's actually the advice I would give to someone who isn't bilingual is, okay, you got to train your interpreter. Right. Protocol, you hold a protocol, right? And then you're like, administer 20. Okay, go back to 19, right? And and I think that, that the PLS Spanish is the best tool for a monolingual having an interpreter speak Spanish because you you have like a side-by-side of exactly what they're supposed to say. Yep. 
you're ever using an interpreter, you can't just go in cold. You gotta, you gotta have a talk with them. You have to be like, okay, I am looking for a speech impediment in whatever language it is, right? So you need to tell me, like, don't fill in words. You have to say exactly how they said it and then how it should have been. Don't clarify the sounds, you know, because they're not SLPs. And often that's what they'll do. Um, So definitely if you can get the assessment by a bilingual, let's get a profile, both languages, right? You know, your color is in English, but not in Spanish. It's not a delay. If you know your opposites in Spanish, but not in English, it's not a delay, right? It's got to be present in both languages. Same with like the phonetic inventory, right? What sounds do we have in common in both languages? And do you have errors in those? There are sounds we don't have, you know, Russian doesn't have with English, right? So um, look at the sounds that are together in the languages and do they have consistent errors across languages? Then we're really finding the child that is truly language or speech impaired, not putting children in special education who are just learning English as a second language. Um, If you have to use an interpreter, like I said, train them, try to see if you can use a test that's standardized for it. Then the last resort is to use a parent. Never use a child for an interpreter. Um, You would have to train the parent or family member, like I'm trying to help you here. Don't give any extra cues. Um, but, you know, we've had to do that in, in my office very seldom. Um, I always tell myself it's better than not testing, right? Yes. At the end of the day, doing it by a bilingual who is native speaker, both languages, best practice. But also, we're not going to turn away somebody who could have significant delays just because we don't speak their language, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not saying any words in Amharic or in English and you're three, there's a problem. Like I don't need an interpreter to know there's a problem. Um, so that would be eval. And then like, I think that if the assess, the therapy part is very tricky. You know, sometimes speech therapists have their hands tied. I worked at a school in Florida, 86% Hispanic. I was not allowed to give therapy in Spanish. I didn't listen. Like <laughs> I could have gotten in trouble. Yeah, I think Arizona is like that too. Yeah, which is, which is super interesting to me because it's like two states that you would say have a very high population of Spanish-speaking kids, and for whatever reason, not that we can change it, even if if we want to, but the powers that be have said we're only going to speak English. Yeah. So to those SLPs, this is what I would say: there are a lot of people on TPT. It's not just me, and I can share names. There are a lot of people that have created bilingual materials. Now, of course, they're using it probably in bilingual therapy. But if you're working on K and the initial position of words, you work on K and the initial position of words in English and then buy the same material in Spanish. And then they're all going to be initial K words and you send them home. That way, the parent can work on that same concept as you. That that is something that wasn't available when I started out. And people will, like you willing to throw the money, just see what's out there. A lot of people are creating the same material, right? It's like vocabulary in both, by both. And then you use your English in your therapy session and you send home the Spanish one. Um, I feel like that is like the biggest tip that I can give. Um, working with interpreters is like 
we could have a whole podcast on that. <laughs> it, <laughs> we could. There's a lot of great resources and there's like mm-hmm. books. There was a time I did a whole training on interpreters. It could be a soapbox. Um, it's tricky. So you got to think about it. You got to be intentional about how you're going to use your interpreter um, and, and always try to get like somebody trained. Don't be bringing in the secretary, right, to get to translate for you. Translation is a really hard skill. And just because you speak two languages doesn't mean you have the ability to translate and use the technical terms in both languages. So try, if you must use an interpreter, try to use someone who's professional. Um, okay, I talked for a long time. No, that's good. And I, just to go back what you were saying about assessment, that um, – I worked at a uh, early intervention that was around a university. So we'd have a lot of um, grad students that would come from, you know, that spoke Burmese or, or Cantonese or all of these different languages. that it was like, there was no way that we were going to find an interpreter for that language. No way. But like you said, it was better to do what we could through parent report and through, um, you know, having the parent translate things for us in an assessment than it was to not give us services at all. So yeah, I, and I, I think, like, oh, I think we won't usually, I was just going to say, I think we usually think of Spanish because it's the, you know, the second language that is most pervasive in our country, but there's so many others too that are, we're going to have to like at least be aware of and, you know, find a way to assess those students. Yeah. And so I I actually brought here because I absolutely love this resource. Oh my God. And it's blurred. Um, Bilinguistics with a book called Difference or Disorder. Mm -hmm. And in it, it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 different languages. And done is they've done a phonemic inventory, English and Spanish, English and Russian. What sounds do you have in common? Which ones you don't? What typical errors? Um, are are made. And I know ASHA has some stuff, but I feel like bilinguistics really put a good product out there. I don't get royalty thing. I just really love it. So I think we sometimes have to just have the resources. I had a French child come in not long ago. And they're like, oh, Michelle, you're bilingual. Here you go. This book was like a lifesaver. I know nothing about well, the phonemes in French and, you know, the language structure, but um, so, you know, get, get yourself a little library of, of key things that you could just reference and, you know, be mindful that like there's both ends of the pendulum. We can over diagnose children who into special ed that don't have it. We can also right. diagnose, you know, there's, I, I see a lot of the underdiagnosed, like wait and see, right? And well, they must be confused. All these lies, and then here they come at three years old with no words. And we couldn't, they didn't get early intervention. Because mm-hmm. They thought, oh, they're just, you know, slow. They're in the silent period. There's so many like misconceptions out there. And, you know, sometimes we could just use our brain, right? Like most languages, first word comes around the first birthday. You know, you have putting two words together by their second birthday. There are some commonalities amongst all languages. If they're not doing it in either, we got to help them. Right. Right. So um, another question about valuation. I'm picking your brain because I have you here. Do it. It's what I do for a living. So a lot of the times 
I, I'm working right now primarily in middle school and high school. So what I see happening a lot is by the time they get to that level, they assume, I feel, a proficiency in English. So they're only testing in English at that point, even if they are, the language of the home is Spanish and there is some, you know, they have a Spanish background. Uh, what what do you think about that? Is there a point where you're like, I think you know enough English that I'm only going to test you in English? I have had that, but I would look at the profile of the child, right? I would want to know, did were they born in the United States? Did they come to the United States? And how old were they? When, you know, have they been simultaneous Spanish and English since birth? Or were they sequential? Was it Spanish at home and then English at school? Why? Because some in other countries, it's not the same as here and school's not mandatory. So some children like stop going to school second, third grade. Then if their family immigrates here when they're 12, it's not just a matter of like language, but like there is, they don't know their times tables. They don't know all this other knowledge. And sometimes they present as having disorders, but really what they're having to do is learn in a second language that they're learning at the same time, right? So whenever you came here, you could just be all over the place. I mean, for a child to make the progress from grade to grade, who is, you know, who was monolingual Spanish or monolingual any language in the home, when you enter kindergarten, you're not just learning to read and write in numbers and colors, you're learning a whole other language system and you need to learn in that language. You have to be at 1.5 speed to be able to keep up. So by the time you get to middle school or high school, it, it could be, you know, so hard to tell what their profile really looks like. So if it's somebody that I've known for a long time, I would, you know, I, I might, I would at some point omit the Spanish, you know, there does come a time when, when they have language loss, it's, it's very sad, but most profiles in the U S you know, they come in and their Spanish is really high and their English is low, but then like the, the Spanish goes down and the English goes up and they become like receptive bilinguals where they understand Spanish, but they don't speak it. Yep. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Or there's even children, they call it, I think it's subtractive bilingualism, where you learn a second language at the expense of the first one. Um, like that happened to me. I, when I came here, I was fluent in Hebrew. I'm Jewish. So I went to a private Jewish school. I had Hebrew, Yiddish, and Spanish. And when I came to the United States, I completely lost my Hebrew and Yiddish when I learned English. Like they're gone. Uh, so, yeah, it's I, I, yeah. As an aside, I have a friend who lives in in Mexico City, and you you assume this is just me because I'm culturally ignorant uh, that everyone everyone is Catholic. She's Jewish, she, you know, yeah. and in the large Jewish community. Yeah, there. it's really and, big. And People are always surprised, right? I'm like mm-hmm. a unicorn. They're like, I don't look. <laughs> Like I'm Hispanic, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I used to get bullied in middle school, right? Because I was like acting white because I took off for Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. The gang of girls hated me, sure. looked white, but my English was awful. But then I'm also mm-hmm. taking the Jewish holidays. Like, man, 
Um, but yeah, there's a huge Jewish population in Mexico City and Guadalajara. Um, I mean, if we just think about when the Holocaust happened and the U.S. closed its borders, Jews went to Latin America. And I'm always yeah. when I run into them in the States. Yeah, and all, all the all the Nazis went to South America. <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's sorry. Also, sorry for no, our South no. American uh, listeners. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it, it is fascinating because like yeah. there are a lot of things from the like Hispanic culture that I identify with. And mm-hmm. then a lot that is like missing, like Dia de los Muertos, never have I gone <laughs> to, to experience that. Right. Right. But, other things like Noche Buena, which is like really the Mexican Christmas, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. I'm not Catholic, but I would go and party and with people out <laughs> to neighbors, right? So, you know, like, but a quinceañera, I didn't have yep. it. I, I was going to say that. Yeah, I had I had friends that were um, a guy I worked with that he was from Costa Rica. And so when they moved here, his daughters were like asking, everyone's asking me if I'm going to have a quinceanera. And he's like, no, that's not part of our culture. Yeah, yeah. And like, so my daughter is 12. We're in bat mitzvah year. It's coming up. And she, because I, I sent her to a bilingual program, right? I'm working so hard to raise a bilingual in the U.S. And she's all about a quinceanera. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, nothing. I haven't attended one. I've, I, I never had one. So it's, it's crazy. A, a quinceanera slash bar mitzvah. <laughs> I was like, it would <laughs> be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also there were like things I didn't realize, right? Like in my Jew, like the Jewish food we eat in Mexico is not what you do here. Like Apparently, people here don't fry their matzo balls with fajitas, <laughs> or right. they don't make gefilte fish a la veracruzana and like a spicy. Mm-hmm. When I came here and saw the jelly, I was like, "What is that?" You know, like in my mind, the fish is always in a spicy tomato sauce. Like that mm-hmm. is how I grew up, and like we always had matzo balls in the soup and on the side with sautéed onions. It was like everybody did it, so it was uh, right. a culture shock for sure. <laughs> Well, a little known fact is I, I grew up in South Carolina. That's not the little known fact, but I grew up in South Carolina. But in Charleston, South Carolina is the oldest synagogue in the United States. Really? Mm-hmm. I'll have to go. I've never been to South Carolina. And people think, oh, you know, it must be New York City. If you ask them, where is the oldest synagogue? Oh, it's New York City or something like that. It's actually in Charleston, South Carolina, back during the 13 colonies and the they had Jewish families that came there and it's oh, still, yeah. it's still in operation, still going. So I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that nugget of goodness. So we, we were going to have to have you back on and and talk more about telepractice and how some of these, uh, how using a, a, an interpreter or when working with families that speak a different language and how it impacts telepractice or p- telepractice service delivery. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, that was like when COVID hit, I had to learn real quick all about telepractice. And um, yeah, I I would, I, I didn't do, I, I did very little therapy via telepractice. I did a ton of evaluation of bilingual mm-hmm. over telepractice and using interpreters and language line or on video, like here in the little boxes, Mm-hmm. 
but you're going to bring me back or should I go we, into it? Now? No, we, we, we will bring you back. Deal. For sure. <laughs> but we, what we're going to do now, just for the sake of time, I don't want to hold you up too long. I want you to uh, give me a letter, A, B, or C. B. B. So at this point, we, we have what we call our moment of Zen. Ooh. So we ask you some questions and you can answer any way you want. You can answer short answer, long answer, one word, two words, whatever you want. Okay. Right. This is our list to beat. So you ready to go? Ready. Uh, would you just, I already know the answer to this. Do you describe yourself as an introvert, introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> what's what's the best compliment you've received? Somebody told me that I looked like a star, and now I can't think. It's not Eva Longoria. My <laughs> told me I looked like the one in Modern Family, the Latina. Oh yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. I blank in on her name. Sophia. She told me Sophia. Yeah. Sophia. Her yeah. or something. Yeah. She made me yeah. look like her. I was like, that's the best compliment ever. <laughs> she was discovered on a beach. Did you know that? Being a model. I did, I did not. She was walking on a beach when she was like 18 years old. <laughs> hey. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. So um, number three, who has been the most influential person in your life and how did he or she impact you? Oh, my daughter, man, mm. the world was changed when I became a mom. And if there's any teacher in this life, it's been my child. You know, I've had, I've had to be braver in situations I didn't want to be, um, I had to grow and, um, be an adult in situations that I didn't want to be. And mm-hmm. every day, every day I'm learning from her. Um, so I would say that she's the one who's changed me the most. Very good answer. I like that. Uh, next question is what do people misunderstand most about you? You know, I have a lot of passion. Is it because I'm an extrovert Jewish? <laughs> and, what is it? and sometimes my passion comes across as being aggressive instead of assertive. Right. Um, I've been coined at work as the angry Mexican. <laughs> Don't like that. Yeah. Some like I am very passionate about some things, you know, when my boss brings up something about bilingualism that is wrong, I have no problem telling him he's wrong. You know, I, I thought I was going to get fired the first day at work, but like literally somebody was using the English PLS on a bilingual and translating it. And I could see the Spanish one. It's like, I'm gonna get fired, but like, I can't hold this in. Um, and so I, I, I think uh, from what I hear, some people that when they finally get to know me, um, that they, you know, they thought my intensity was seen as aggression rather as like passion. So that's the biggest misunderstanding of me. I'm a loving person. I love everyone. I want to help. But if you get me on my soapbox, I'm going to be animated and like I might get loud. That's just how I am. Good for me you. And you would be friends. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we could be friends. <laughs> you guys have a lot in common. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, so almost similar question is what's something surprising that you've learned about yourself? Oh, what is something surprising I've learned about myself? I think 
I've, I've surprised myself at how many like balls I can keep juggling. Right. Um, many times I was presented with opportunities to do more and I was just like, I'm happy being the working bee. I go to work and then I finish working and then I'm a mom. Right. And this is all I want. Um, but really recently, like I started my own business and then I'm going to be a consultant uh, for Smarty Ears. And it makes me so happy to juggle all these balls. And I don't know, I feel like maybe I sold myself short in thinking what I could or couldn't do. Like maybe I could have opened my own private practice, you know? Um, so I've surprised myself in how many things I've been able to juggle and and, and add on and still not feel like I'm missing out time with my family or slacking at work. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, next question is, do you have a favorite quote? Yes. It's like from date myself, there was a time where the airplanes had the sky mall magazine, right. And they have all those inspirational quotes and it was like a picture. There was a little boy on it. And then like on the bottom was the quote, hundred years from now, it will not matter what kind of house I have, what kind of car I drive or how much money's in the bank account. What will matter is that I made a difference in the life of the child. That is my favorite quote. That's like my, that's my life. You know, that's my motivator. I'm always like, I'm here for the kids. I don't want to be a manager. Then I'm not going to be able to play with the kids. <laughs> oh, they're an hour late. Well, that's not the kids' fault. The mom is late, so I'm going to see them because I'm here for the kids. So I don't know. That's that's been it. That's a great quote. Next question is: How do you define success? Ooh, that is a very good question. Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's <laughs> money, right? To mm-hmm. me. It's not material things. Um, For me, success is feeling happy with what you do, to wake up and be excited about what you're doing um, and and, and experiences, you know, like, like for me, I feel successful at ASHA when I like meet new people and walk around the exhibit hall, not necessarily being a presenter, right? So, so I would say the greatest successes that I see are like things I've done with my family, places that I've been, you know, differences that I've made in people's lives. Um, I know it's not like a very well put answer, but that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. Thanks. A couple more. What is the best advice a mentor ever gave you about your work or life? My current boss. Apparently I have really high expectations for people um, to be black and white and not see the gray. And so apparently I, I frequently think that other speech pathologists who aren't doing what I do are not doing a good job. And my, my boss told me, he's like, Michelle, he's not a speech therapist. He's like, you're like the LeBron James speech pathologist here. You've been here for a time. You know what you're doing. You enjoy what you're doing. Other people can still be basketball players and be good basketball players, even if they're not LeBron James. So you have to have gray in your uh, radiance of, of people and you everybody can't be at your level or worthless. Um, and I thought it, it really did help me like reframe, like 
okay, yes, you you could still be a good speech therapist, even if you didn't do X, Y, and Z that I would have done. So um, it helps with my perfectionism. I think that that was like one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten. I'm surprised that wasn't also your biggest compliment. You are the LeBron James <laughs> of SLP. You know, like, true, true, right? But that like that like speaks to like all this stuff in the world that like any to me the best compliment is when somebody tells me I'm pretty or skinny. Why did the world do <laughs> But to me, I subconsciously equate, you know how it is, like you equate beauty with with um positive things but you're right that should have been my <laughs> maybe y'all can edit that out and change yes. it that's, yes. that's good uh next question is um do you have a hack you know lots of hacks these days you know that you could recommend or something that's discovered that is a shortcut or a hack could be anything Gosh, like beyond control C, control Z, no, control V. (laughs) Do I have, oh, I do have a hack. I have a mom hack. Ready? Okay. Okay. All the moms out there who have kids like mine, who like take forever to get ready in the morning and are always sluggish in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm listening. (laughs) Only by much, like we don't have jeans, right? We have leggings and we have Mm -hmm. top. And I don't have pajamas in my house anymore. So here's what I do. You must wear clean clothes because you've been in school and there's germs. I let my child go to sleep in her clothes for the next day. So in the morning, all she has to do is brush her teeth and brush her hair. And she sleeps comfortably. I don't buy pajamas. That's my hack. Have your kids sleep in the clothes for the next day. Get wrinkle-free stuff. Get some cotton. And don't stress. Have them shower at night. Put on the clothes for the next day. Then in the morning, one less thing to do. That's my hack. I might have to steal that. That, I have have a, my eight-year-old sleeps in the same room as my three-year-old. So I'm like begging her not to wake up her sister in the morning. And so that would help that she didn't have to pick out her clothes. She could just wake up and go. There you go. And she won't wear anything that's uncomfortable either. So Mm -hmm. she, she calls them button pants. Any pants with buttons are out. So they're basically pajamas anyways. Exactly. So why, why spend your money on pajamas, right? right? right. Just put on to then take off in the morning, just sleep on what you're going to wear the next day. You're clean. Go to sleep. So when you bring me back, you'll have to tell me how I'll report back. (laughs) Put the three-year-old too. Like who needs pajamas, you know, then in the morning, well, mine with her is the reverse. I just leave it her, her in her pajamas all day. She's at home <laughs> with me. She stays in pajamas all day. <laughs> in pajamas all day. So. Um, I put on a nice top, but I definitely like four sets of Mickey Mouse pajama bottom. I harness my my inner goodness by having on work and you can see them. Exactly. Cool. Last question. And this is right. one uh, that that it goes back to the original list that we, we had. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ooh, I like that one. I do believe heaven exists. Mm-hmm. I would want God to say that I made a difference in the life of somebody, that I made somebody's life better, brighter in some capacity. 
well, Michelle, you, you have made our lives better and brighter by being here. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. How can people reach out to you if they want to connect and interact with you? Yeah, sure. So bilingualslp.com is my website. Um, so I am there, um, bilingual SLP. Um, you can look me up on Instagram. My handle is at bilingual SLP LLC, same with Facebook. Um, and you can probably find, you can email me through my website. So bilingualslp.com, best way to find me. Great. Awesome. We'll have you back soon. Please. Well, that was Michelle Posner. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us on the podcast. And you can check out everything that Michelle's doing over at Bilingual SLP. And we definitely want to have Michelle back on the podcast so we can talk even more about telepractice and how do we work with clinicians who are bilingual as well as parents who are and children who are bilingual and how do we serve them correctly. And I think she has a lot to say about that. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Please leave us a five-star review. That helps us to attract new listeners and get new subscribers, which is what we are trying to do. Until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.